Hey, welcome into this week's edition of Please Bear With Me, your go-to podcast for all things Baylor football. My name's Scotty Swingler. So good to have you in. I've been off the podcasting game for a couple weeks now. I do apologize. I think we've got some good stuff for you today. Most of this episode is a very extensive conversation I had with Chris Platt, the former Baylor receiver. Has been very vocal for three or four weeks now in support of Charlie Brewer and in support of the current Baylor coaching staff and what they're doing. Uh, Chris Platt himself has compared this 2020 season to 2017. Of course, Matt Rule's one-win season multiple times. And so Chris and I just got into all of that. We also talked really extensively about his career. So I hope you'll enjoy that conversation with Chris. You know, before this past Saturday, what was hard about doing this podcast week after week was that there just wasn't much to talk about. Right. Like, I feel like we've covered the Charlie Brewer thing just ad nauseum and it's exhausting at this point. I feel like we've talked about Dave Aranda ad nauseum. I feel like we've talked about 2020 and its difficulties over and over, and it just got redundant. And Baylor keeps losing games and showing sparks and flashes, but overall, just really disappointing. And then, of course, Baylor wins this game against Kansas State. Um, not an impressive fashion, right? Giving up that many points to a Kansas State offense that is just not very potent right now, to be honest with you, was disappointing. Of course, Baylor's lack of Terrell Bernard is very much being felt on that defensive side of the ball right now. And Baylor's offense still struggling to establish a running game of any kind, especially with Lovett and Ebner, which has been also a bummer all season. A lot of the storylines from the Kansas State game are the same that we've talked about all season. You love to see that win, though. And I think that win is is really important because with all the recruits that Baylor has been losing in the past few weeks, with some of the guys transferring out, Yusuf Terry, um, there's rumors about Zeno and Bohannon both being gone after this season, especially if Charlie Brewer is indeed coming back to play next season. There's a lot of fragility to this Baylor program right now in terms of talent and player acquisition. And, um, you know, I think the win goes a long way towards reminding people what Baylor football can do and that Baylor football can compete. And, you know, Baylor football is not a basement program. It's not a program that's going to remain in the cellar of the Big 12. It's a program that should almost always be middle of the pack and on occasion, competing for the Big 12 title. I think that's a perfectly reasonable and good place for Baylor football to be and where we should expect Baylor football to be. And I think the win uh, will remind some folks of that, even though Kansas State is struggling and, you know, it was an ugly win. But credit to Baylor for winning a game in some nasty weather. Credit to Charlie Brewer for playing one of his best games as a Bear ever. I know he still made a few mistakes and people are just nitpicking his performances like crazy at this point. But end of the day, the dude balled out and played well and didn't throw any interceptions and... You know, you worry about his health, as as we always have. He took a lot of shots, but um, the dude put it on his back and played well and made the plays when he needed to. And, of course, our guy R.J. Sneed is evolving into one of Baylor's best receivers of all time right before our eyes. The guy, you know, is right up there right now, I would say, with Denzel Mims and Katie Cannon, just in terms of playmaking ability. And if he does this again next season, if he returns and keeps performing like this next year, you could – have him in the conversation with some of Baylor's all-timers like Corey Coleman, Kendall Wright, Terrence Williams, Dominic Ziegler, Melvin Bonner, and the like. So, you know, good for uh, Baylor. Great win. Love to see it. I think that's a really big step for the program going forward. I actually think one of the most interesting ways to evaluate this coaching staff will be signing day. 
And so maybe as we get into the spring, uh, I might drop like a bonus episode, you know, looking at Baylor's recruiting class, who was lost, who was gained, because, uh, you know, we don't know how Aranda is as a recruiter. Uh, some of the stories I've heard are that he's not, <laughs> he's not a recruiter. And that's, a, that's a shift for Matt rule and that Baylor doesn't have a lot of guys on staff right now who are really, really sold out, dedicated to recruiting outside of just the couple that, that you know of. And so, yeah, that's, that's something that's going to be interesting to follow going forward. But right now I'm just ranting and raving and, and not being very coherent. And I apologize for that. You know, the Thanksgiving holiday, got me behind a little bit here, as well as my pastor, who I work for, uh, got COVID a few weeks back. And so I've kind of taken on a bunch of additional roles at the full-time job here at the church um, for the past month or so. And so, I do, again, I do appreciate you being patient with me. There are some of my just unfiltered thoughts on what we're seeing right now from Baylor football. I don't want to rehash the old storylines. Uh, I think the most interesting episode to cut here for this podcast this season will be the postseason episode when we know who's coming back we know who's gone we prepare for the first full off season under Aranda we really start to lock in what the recruiting class is going to look like in its final form we might have some interesting things to talk about and so I I might make a few more episodes kind of into the off season and even into basketball season as as this has just been a weird year and we've never done that here gone beyond the final game of the regular season uh, or the bowl game or whatever. But I think this might be the year that we have some things to discuss postseason. And I look forward to that. And I do want to talk Baylor hoops for just a minute. I mean, that team's outstanding. You know, you just go prove yourself against a team like Illinois, who's, you know, maybe a bit overrated at that number five spot, but probably a top 10 college basketball team. And Baylor just came out in that second half and enforced their will and uh, took the game right from underneath Illinois knows Illinois was right in it until about halfway through that second half and then Baylor you know was never completely out of reach from a scoring perspective but from a momentum perspective and energy perspective about halfway through that second half Baylor took that 10 or 12 point lead right there and it was for all intents and purposes over Baylor was focused and playing extremely well and you know there was some concern we had Aaron Torres on a few weeks ago and he gave us a great college basketball preview if you haven't listened to that episode i'd encourage you to go back a couple of episodes and catch Aaron Torres but after we had Torres on Tristan Clark announced that he wasn't going to be able to play and that he was retiring from basketball and of course we were all very sad to lose Clark and uh, Torres on Twitter commented that takes Baylor out of the final four picture because Baylor doesn't have a big in his estimation right and so you lose Freddie Gillespie to eligibility you lose Tristan Clark to injury and uh who's your bigs gonna be well um Flo Thamba can play he needs to uh be more consistent and more steady but he can play and uh John man big John I'm not even gonna try to say his last name right now I haven't gotten that good at it yet but big John is playing like a beast and more important we live in an era now more than ever where you can win without a big uh Mark Vidal is a big, you know, he's six five or whatever. But you know, in the NBA, they're running four guard lineups with a six eight guy at the five. It's not unreasonable to think that in college basketball, you can run a four guard lineup with a six five six six athletic hustle guy like Mark Vidal at the five, and you can play significant minutes that way. If you can add a Big John or a Flo Thamba or a Zach Love Day down the road or a couple more big bodies down low. 
you know, you're doing just fine. In fact, I think one of the best lineups we've seen from the Bears this season has been when they have any combination of three guards, Vital at the four, and then Matt Mayer at the five. Or maybe Mayer's the four and Vital's the five. But either way, Mayer and Vital are both playing kind of your forward spots. And neither one of those guys is a big man, but they're athletic. They're hustle guys. They can both score. Uh, they can both block shots. I've been really impressed with Matt Mayer's ability to block shots, especially against Illinois. And so, yeah, I think that style of play works in this era now more than ever. And yeah, you miss a Freddie Gillespie. And yeah, Tristan Clark was was going to be something special. And it's really sad to see him have to retire due to those injuries. But dude, like this is the era where you can run three or four guards and you can have just athletic hustle guys at the post and you can beat most teams that way. Now, this game against Gonzaga is obviously going to be a test. And I I truly believe that Gonzaga and Baylor are ranked appropriately. I think they're the two best teams in the country. And I don't think anybody's close at this point. Somebody could catch up as the season goes along. I think right now Baylor and Gonzaga have a clear edge over any other team in the country. And I'm curious to see what kind of lineup combinations work against Gonzaga. But this Baylor backcourt, is so deep, dude. So deep, okay? So Jared Butler is going to leave, and a lot of people are going to argue that he's the best basketball player in school history. I don't know if I agree with that yet. I want to see what happens the rest of this season. He definitely has a chance to leave as that. You know, he hasn't shown just a ton of willingness to dominate and take over a game, which is, like, he doesn't have to, right? Like, he's got so many good teammates to feed the ball to he doesn't have to take over a game but I'd like to see him be a little more dominant but I mean let's just keep going down the list here you've got Jared Butler who might be the best player in school history when all is said and done you've got Macy Oteague who's just an athlete on the wing out at the guard spot who can shoot who can take it to the rim who can defend he's long he's quick he's a hustle guy you've got Davion Mitchell who plays third fiddle sometimes with those two guys, but in my opinion is the most consistent out of all of them in terms of what you get out of him. Uh, Probably the best player on the defensive end of the floor, great scorer, elite three-point shooter, was four for four against Illinois before he missed one with under a minute left. I was kind of bummed he took that shot. I I wish he had gone off the court four for four, but elite player on the perimeter, especially defensively, as well as that three-point shot. And then this year you add Adam Flagler, who scored 18 against Illinois, was probably the player of the game and and has shown an ability to score uh, outside, inside. He he can shoot off the dribble, which, you know, that is so big in college hoops. You don't have just a ton of guys that can do that. You've got a ton of guys in college hoops that can catch and shoot. You don't have an abundance of players who can create their own shot. Um, Brady Heslip is, a, is an outstanding example. Brady Heslip is one of the best catch and shoot players of all time. Brady Heslip did not have a ton of ability to create his own shot. He did it on occasion, but he was mostly posting up in the corner or on the wing and getting fed and just quick release, putting it in the hoop. Whereas a guy like Pierre Jackson, if you go all the way back to a guy like Curtis Geralds, um, and even Lace Dunn later in his career, were able to kind of create their own space to take those threes. Uh, Flagler has the ability to do that, and uh, that's really special. And then you've got a guy, dude, behind all of them in LJ Cryer, who didn't even get any minutes against Illinois, didn't even play, who has shown already this season in earlier action that he can score 
Um, we know from his recruiting just profile and, and how highly ranked he was that this guy is, is going to be a lights-out dynamic guard at the college level, and he's not even getting on the court. I mean, this, this Baylor backcourt, I don't know that I've ever seen a backcourt this deep with, I mean, five guys who could legitimately start at any other school in the country. Without question, without question, LJ Cryer, Flagler, Mitchell, like they're all the best guard at a lot of schools. And, you know, ah, man, just getting Teague and Butler back when they were flirting with the draft, so good. And this team definitely, I would say to Aaron Torres, and he gave Baylor some love after that game against Illinois, but this team has the ability to go all the way. They still do. Um, you got to stay healthy. That's that's the biggest thing if you're Baylor. Got to stay healthy, especially down low. You don't have a lot of depth, but so many good players on this team. And what was so impressive about that win too against Illinois is that Baylor didn't even play, in my opinion, like their best game by any means. Like Baylor didn't rebound particularly well. Uh, they did end up out rebounding Illinois by the end of the game, but I know most of the game, especially that first half, they were out rebounded. Illinois had more assists than Baylor in that game. Baylor didn't shoot. Free throws particularly well, 62%, which was the same as Illinois, funny enough, but I think Baylor is a better free throw shooting team than that. Baylor did end up shooting 39% from three, which is really good, and I think will keep Baylor competitive in any game. But I don't even think this was close to Baylor's best performance. I think Baylor can play far better than what we saw against Illinois, and that's that's frightening uh, to any other team in the country. That's, that's a challenge. I will react to the game against Gonzaga, after it happens. And I know this has traditionally been a very football-heavy podcast. I tried to do some basketball coverage year one and really struggled with it. It's not my strong suit compared to football. But I think in a year that's been very difficult for football just because of COVID, and in a year where Baylor has a national championship caliber basketball team, uh, it's appropriate to talk some basketball. That doesn't necessarily mean this podcast will continue through the entire basketball season but maybe once a month or something we can we can chat it up about Baylor hoops I don't know we'll see what happens but yeah good stuff from Baylor hoops against Illinois and I will react to the Gonzaga game as far as Baylor football goes you've got Oklahoma this weekend that's that's a tough matchup regardless Oklahoma once again at the top of the conference they they did struggle early in the season but it seems as if they have gotten their stuff together. Spencer Rattler is as as crazy talented as advertised. His ability to flick his wrist and put the ball 80 yards down the field is insane. Uh, the dude is, he's not Patrick Mahomes to this point, right? But like in terms of just pure athletic talent and arm strength, he is going to be that good. I, I really think he's that talented. And I will say, I think Baylor has a puncher's chance in this game. You know, again, thinking back to 2017, you thought there was no way that one-win team was going to be able to compete with Oklahoma. And at the end of the day, that's a game Baylor feels like they should have won. I think Baylor should have won. It was right down to the wire. So here comes Baylor into Norman, and Oklahoma is missing uh, several key playmakers, the biggest one being Nick Bonito, who's their leading sack guy. I'm pretty confident, which which that will help Charlie Brewer incredibly with, with how much he's been under duress this season. Mickey Henderson, Woody Washington, Brendan Radley, Hiles, and Pat Fields also out for this game. And so, you know, Baylor's got a puncher's chance here. Oklahoma missing a lot of good players due to COVID. They've had their schedule disrupted due to COVID. 
you know, that works in Baylor's favor. Uh, I would not be surprised if Baylor makes a game of it. I, I would be surprised if Baylor wins. And so, you know, um, I'll take Oklahoma by a couple scores. I just think they're too deep and too good and too consistent. And Baylor's not. But I, I think Baylor puts up a decent showing. I don't think Baylor gets gully washed like they did in the first half against TCU or like they did for most of the game against Texas, right? Those games were earlier in the season. I think Baylor's matured beyond that. You lost a really tight game to Iowa State. You lost a, a tight game to Tech that you shouldn't have lost. You won a tight game at, with Kansas State. I think Baylor plays Oklahoma close, but just can't get it done. Loses by a couple scores. All right, I've talked way enough today. So now I'm going to give you Chris Platt. I got to say, this is different than any other conversation I've done, and it's because Chris Platt was so excited to talk about his career, and and I loved it, okay? So I asked Chris right at the top, like I do with a lot of these guys that I interview, just like, hey, what are some highlights from your career? Tell me when you look back at your Baylor experience, what you remember. And Chris proceeded to just go year by year, season by season, game by game, moment by moment through his Baylor career. And I was not about to cut him off because to me, if you love football, and furthermore, if you love football and if you love Baylor, like this is what you want to hear. You want to hear the guys tell their stories, uh, reflect on their time. What was clear about my conversation with Chris is that he's very passionate about his career and what he was able to do at Baylor. And again, he is a guy that is still fighting to have a pro career, whether that's NFL. And you'll hear a little bit about that, including that Matt Rule and company tried to get him in Carolina, whether it's NFL or XFL or um, something else. Chris Platt is trying to get back to playing football and we want to wish him the best in that. But I, you know, Chris came on, was very generous with his time, was very generous with his storytelling I met Chris at Texas Roadhouse. As I've told you, I've met several of these guys when I was a manager at Texas Roadhouse a while back, and he was kind enough to come on. And not only does he discuss his career, but then after that, I, I do ask him pretty directly about his thoughts on Charlie Brewer. I know that's been the talking point this year, and it will continue to be, but Chris uh, gave his defense of Charlie Brewer. And then I asked Chris about uh, this season and why he compares it pretty directly to the 2017 one-win season. Chris Platt said in a tweet, none of the former players are worried about Baylor football because they see the parallels between Aranda year one and Rule year one. And I did ask him to go deeper on that. And so uh, without any further bland commentary or discussion from me, here's the conversation I had with Chris Platt. We did have this conversation about a week and a half ago. So it, it is coming to you uh, prior to this Kansas State win. But I, I think it's it's a great discussion and yeah I hope you enjoy hearing from Chris Platt how's it going everything's good good give us an update first man you're still trying to play professional football are you still pursuing that and what's going on there right now I'm just trying to keep myself busy and uh stay in shape until till that time comes I know uh the XFL starts in 2022 if that's the option and uh I'm just trying to stay ready just in case I do come in for a workout I love it. I love it. And what are you doing in the meantime, other than staying in shape? In the meantime, just working. Yeah, just working. Just working. Just stay busy. I love it, man. Well, Chris, uh, every time I have a former player on, the first thing I like to do before we get into any of the other stuff is just let you recap your career and talk to me about uh, your experience at Baylor. And dadgummit, dude, when I think about 
former players, there's there's not any guy I think that's been through more than you went through between all the coaching stuff, between the injuries, running track and being an All-American in track while you're at it, man. So you had quite the journey. Why don't you just, in your own words, tell my listeners about your journey at Baylor and what stands out to you and, and just, yeah, tell us how you look back on all of it. Yeah, um, I think when I first went to Baylor, like a Baylor game, it was the the Baylor-Iowa State game for homecoming at Floyd Casey. And uh, I really loved it. Like the the hospitality, the coaches, the players, like I wasn't even like committed yet in like all these – all these players who I wasn't – and just like – just being like decent people. So like, I mean, that caught my attention. And um, I mean, that was just send me letters, send me the tweets, DMs before games and stuff, wishing me good luck. I mean, it was just very consistent. And, um, you know, I was like, you know, I'm gonna go up to junior day and see, see how it goes. And so I went to junior day, they showed me the facilities, they showed me the apartments, everything. And I was like, you know, I really don't have much else to see like I, I want to commit today so like that day I committed and um after that I fast forward a freshman year I probably say it, it took me a while to get adjusted for like with just with football like the speed of football it didn't take me much it didn't take me that long but it took me a while I, I'd say like that that fall came Um, it was rough. It was rough, but um, I got adjusted well. I mean, the coaches they they took they were very patient, I should say, with me, and um, got redshirted. But I almost got my redshirt pulled because uh, if you remember, 2014, that's when a lot of receivers got hurt. Uh, Antoine Gooley got hurt, and then Levi got hurt. Then Clay got hurt. Then Corey got hurt. <laughs> and then that's when you saw a lot more of uh, KD and Davion Hall playing. Yeah. And, that's the- and uh, there were, so I was like in the freshman group doing like just basically like hell week every week in the morning at 6 a.m. with Coach Cos. And then so during those times, they would like ease up on me because like, hold on, he might play. Or whatnot. <laughs> so every you know if I'm a player or not, like I, I really don't know. So like the Northwestern game, <laughs> we're in the huddle and then Coach KB's looking and he looks at me, he looks for a second, and he's like, No, 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 no. <laughs> He's like, No, we're not gonna do it, we're not gonna do it. So then I mean, we we survived until uh what was what was that game? I want to say until conference play. I mean, it was from Northwestern to conference play where, like, a lot of people were hurt. They were just going with what they had. But I, I'm I'm very glad they didn't pull my red shirt because then that, that would have been really bad. Then my junior year when I hurt myself, that would have been my last year. Um, I'd probably say my sophomore year when I started playing, my – no, sophomore year in college, year of playing, playing, 
It's SMU. But I remember my first catch was like on a fourth and third against SMU. My first play actually, <laughs> fourth and third, and uh, <laughs> Seth throws me the ball and I get the first down. Some pressure right there. But uh, when I got my first catch against SMU with uh, Jared, when he threw me the touchdown, I I like blacked out. Like, I don't even remember anything after catching the ball. It was just, like, floating on clouds, basically. <laughs> it's probably, like, one of my, like, most favorite moments, probably. And uh, ever since then, like, we've really connected, even when he had went to Auburn. And, uh, no, by the way, um, it was it was really bad how some, some fans, like, really treated him after he had left mm. college. You're telling me, man. I mean, I I said it to everybody. I think I've, yeah, I think I've said it on this podcast, dude. Like, the guy commits to the school because he wants to play for one coach in that offense. And so, of course, when that coach leaves, Mm -hmm. I I mean, I didn't blame him a lick. I was, I was more, I was, of course, happy that guys like you stayed, but I didn't blame a guy that an NFL quarterback, you know, for going to another system and finding a place where he thought he'd work well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, hey, you do what you got to do. Like, no love lost at all. So so that sophomore year, that was that. That was Coach Brawls last year. And uh, so, like, thinking thinking back on it, that, um, that game against North Carolina was really big. And my first start, too, because Corey, he had went into surgery and he didn't play that game because he went to the NFL. So I actually started that game, and that's when <laughs> went through the whole QB pandemic and went through, like, three QBs, had links, Hawthorne at QB and Chris Johnson at QB, and then ended up breaking the, the bowl game rushing record. And that was a good game. I mean, that I, I'm glad we ended that game and that era with Coach Braz on a win. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you about that season because it was so bizarre. Everybody kind of getting a rep at quarterback and running basically three running backs and a quarterback back there in the Wildcat, basically that whole bowl game. Did you ever go to coach and say, hey, coach, I might be the fastest player on this team. Let me take a couple snaps. (laughs) They actually put me at running back a couple times, but never at QB. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like we do like before practice, we'll do these like little drills we do, and then at the end we do the the double receiver pass, and then they judge based off of like who can throw the the best off of that. <laughs> and so we always have we always have these little competitions. Like after we catch the ball, uh, Dominic Ziegler, he's like in the middle of the touchdown zone. He has his hands out, and he's like, "All right, now you gotta throw it right here, and I can't move." And we always like do this point system and stuff. It's, it was fun. Uh, but during that, I know, and then Jared, it was his ankle. And then against Texas, that's when Chris Johnson played. He stepped in. He was big against Oklahoma State. And then Texas, that first drive, he gets a concussion. That first drive, he gets a concussion. So we actually planned on, like, if, okay, if he gets hurt, who's going to be next? And Lynx was actually at practice playing QB. So it wasn't like, hey, we need you to be a QB that day. Like, we already had it planned. And for the first half, I mean, we really couldn't get much done. But, like, 
at halftime, we adjusted and we had like established this run game and Texas could not stop it. Like if we would have had that going like the second quarter, I feel like we would have won that game. Probably would have went to a New Year New Year's Six, I think. It was tough. I mean, <laughs> Link's through <laughs> he played his heart out, but like there were some couple throws I'm like ten yards above my head. Oh, it I remember. Funny, but we remember. Awesome yeah, we remember. That was <laughs> that was a bizarre game. And then the, even as weird as it was, there was a Hail Mary at the end where we might have still won it, which was just nuts, dude. That whole thing mm-hmm. was nuts. Yeah. And, like, to think about it, I mean, we lost by three and we missed two field goals that game. So, I mean, it it was very doable. <laughs> So, so that, that following summer, so we play that December and then then we are back at home during the summer. That's when we got the news coach Browse He got fired. He sent us a text. And I remember I was at my my grandma's house and we get this text saying, Hey, I will no longer be your coach. If you want to talk to me before I deactivate my phone, this is it. If you have any questions or whatever, and then there's going to be a headline on ESPN. want to let y'all know before it got out. And then the first thing I called Debbie on, I'm like, man, what is happening? Like, what are we going to do? He's like, man, I don't know. Like, are you going to transfer? Like, what, what are you going to, what are we going to do? You're going to stay, you're going to go. I was like, man, I don't know. It depends, I guess. So like, it was just, everything was just up in the air. That's when Probe was going to be the interim coach and all the staff was going to stay. So we decided to stay, go through it. And I mean, it was, it wasn't that bad. Coach Grove is a really, he was a really good coach and a really good man. Uh, I actually called him when I was making my decision if I wanted to stay or not at Baylor before I left. And, um, it was good. I mean, he he basically like kept us together, like disciplinary wise, because after you lose your coach and then really everything's up in the air and then a bunch of egos on the team, it's kind of hard to keep the team together, team glued up. But um, he he did a really good job. He really did. He like in the situation he. Was, thrown into during that season man like we started at 6-0 and and then we went 0-6 and it was tough like after it was after that UT game that's when it like went downhill and uh <laughs> got that questionable safety call and um in that interception that didn't they didn't call um basically like every Friday you could just bank on there's going to be like some type of headline about Baylor, like with the whole sexual allegations. And then that's when the coaches, they started tweeting and stuff. Then like the coaches, I mean, the players are like, are the coaches are like, are they even like focused? Like, are they worried about something else? Are they here with us? Then I remember, I remember we had a meeting and all the coaches had went down there and told like each and every coach told them because they kind of like heard us like, worried about if they're even into this like team right now and I mean I understand like 
what happened to Coach Browns. So I feel for them for that, especially with Coach KB, him being that's being his dad, and like everybody's everybody's family up there, like everybody is family. And um, we went to zero and six, and then get to the uh, the Cactus Bowl, and we pull a win out, <laughs> and that felt good. That felt real good. And then, uh, that's when I met Coach Rule, actually. That I want to say it was like the game before the bowl game day, and they said that Coach Rule was going to be the head coach. You know, we had a meeting. He went up to Waco. Him and his, well, it was, I think it was just him, went up to went the Ferrell Center. We did a little meeting, and uh, <laughs> I, I joked around to him. Like, after he was a coach, I was like, hey, you know you were late to your own first meeting? <laughs> like, all the players was there waiting for him. He was, like, five minutes late. But uh, he, was a, he's, he was a real good dude. When we met in the hotel in Arizona, we talked for a little bit. And it was just, it was just very brief. I know that he was, he was trying to get KD and Ish to stay. But they were like, we really don't know. And then especially with Ish's um Ish's um situation during that time with the doc stuff, he was like, I don't know if I if I need to stay or not, I'm gonna just go to the league. And then KD, he had already made his mind up freshman year that he was gonna leave in three years. Fast forward to that, I played my first year with Coach Rule. Practice was really t- like I'd probably say like we probably had the toughest practices in the NCAA like there was some there's some scouts that would come to our practice and look at our practice like y'all play harder than we do y'all practice harder than we do in the NFL and I'm like man <laughs> I mean I guess that's a good thing go to that that Liberty game with coach rule you know our offense is clicking and then it just seems like they're just scoring right back it was just back and forth, back and forth. So at halftime, I just see like people, people are like their mor- their morality is just really low, and it was like close. It was a, I think it was a also, but I mean I was like this is liberty. We we shouldn't be close with these guys anyways. And like I I was like out of frustration, I told everybody in the offense to like to come up. I talked to them at halftime. Basically, I was telling the lineman, I was like, hey, all we need is like three or four seconds. Our receivers are getting open. He's getting hit too much. You got to care for one another. And I told the defense the same thing. I was like, hey, if y'all get a couple stops, we'll go down there and score for y'all. And then, you know, we kept scoring and they kept scoring back. And then it ended up being a close game and they ended up winning. And... When I tell you, like, that next Monday on campus, it just felt dead. Like, <laughs> it felt so dead on campus. It felt so bad. I felt so bad. It was just so embarrassing for me. But, I mean, it happens, I guess. <laughs> but uh, we tried to – I at least I tried to try, try to keep my head maintained, try not to get too high or too low. So just kept working at it, kept working at it, and then go to the UTSA, UTSA game. Offense was really bad that game. We didn't score much. They didn't score much. And then after that, after that loss, you can just people see people are just distraught. 
And so, like, I'm going around the locker room just trying to tell people, like, like, hey, we still got work to do. Like, we still got a certain amount of games left. Like, we can't just lay down right now because then it'll just get worse. And then the Duke game, I don't know. It was just <laughs> that that uh that first touchdown I caught, that was a throw that shouldn't have been thrown. But since Zach, Zach Smith was throwing the ball, it worked. Because they actually started cover twoing me after like the first quarter, they started cover twoing me, and I do this little stop and go, and the safety is coming down onto me, and the corner is coming up from underneath me, and he just finds the smallest window to throw the ball with some heat on it. Like as soon as I turn around, it's like right there in my face, and I luckily caught it. And I went, <laughs> went inside and scored. Like, that ball had some heat. Like, I could hear it. <laughs> that screen that screenplay is probably my, my favorite touchdown. One of my favorite. Uh, that uh, 78-yard touchdown. Yeah, that one, if you look, they're over there. They're chopping people down. There's this one guy that could have got me, but the dude got blocked, like, last second. And uh, commend them for that. <laughs> But that game also that was that was rough. Like I was just trying everything that I could to just give us a chance. And I remember um student assistant coach, he like he he went up to me after the game. He was like, Hey, he's like he's like, I appreciate you for trying to give us a chance. And like that stuck with me a lot. Just through after everything, like especially after I got hurt and like, going to the Oklahoma game. That first quarter, no, that first half, I really wasn't getting the ball much. I was kind of getting frustrated, but, I mean, Denzel was going off that first quarter, and I was getting him open. And uh, so, I mean, I can't go into the game. So, I mean, hey, <laughs> if it's working, then keep doing it. And uh, I remember it was this jet sweep to the left. I do a jet sweep to the left, and then – the defensive end, or the tight end whiffed on the defensive end. The defensive end came out. He tackled me. He tackled me from my right to my left. So I went to my left. And I guess my foot, my left foot was in the ground when that happened. And then it went, it went inwards. And I guess that's when it happened. But honestly, it just felt like I sprained it. I didn't, it didn't feel like I tore it at all. I had a, it was kind of, I had to get help to get up. But I I jogged off the field for one play. <laughs> I shook it off and I went right back in. I can see coach. <laughs> I can see coach. He's over there. He's like, you good? You good? I was like, I'm shaking. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And then so like they give me this post and I actually beat the corner on this post and I could have scored, but the pass was behind me. And like right after that post, I'm like, man, something's not right. So I kind of regret it, but I don't regret it. So after that, that series is over, we're on the uh, sideline. I go up to a trainer. I was like, hey, something doesn't feel right with my knee. First, she does like these little ACL tests. I mean, now that I know what she was doing now, she was doing the ACL test. And then so the the doctor, he put me back into the tent and then he laid me down, did the ACL test. And he's like, it's pretty loose. He was like, I don't know if you should know. I, I got to go back in. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? I got to go back in. He's like, he's like, 
And then he did it again. Like he put his fingers behind my knee and then he started pulling it up on my knee. He's like, you see, you see this? He's like, this is really loose. Like if you get hit again there, it could damage it some more. And so they took away my helmet, <laughs> even though I tried to get it back. They took my helmet, they put it up and locked it. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there and they put some ice on my knee and then told the coaches that I was done. I was like, man. So I'm just sitting there on the sideline. It was like, it was like, it was the possession after I scored actually. Like I had scored that next possession, I got hurt. And then that next possession, that's when they said I was out. It was crazy. And I was just, you know, it sucked because I was just sitting there watching and we were in the game. Like we were, I think we would have won, honestly. We would have won like Coach Rule, like after a few, I think after a week or two, he's like, he's like, if you were playing, I feel like we would have won a couple of these games. I mean, it was good to hear, but also it hurt to hear because <laughs> I can't do anything about it. But, you know, when I was watching that game, the receivers really stepped up. But after I actually got hurt, I know Tony, he had a career high. Denzel had a career high. Pooh had a career high that game. And um, <laughs> I actually thought we were going to win. We got that. We got the onside kick. Taylor Young gets the ball. I was like, oh, we really got a chance. We got a chance to go down there and win. That sucked. <laughs> so I'm I'm walking whatever. It's It feels – it, it's like a it feels fine but something's wrong type feeling like oh it'll, it'll, I'll go I'll sleep it off or something like that it'll go away in a couple of days but it never did so they actually told me to go get MRI that next day the next day it felt fine but um that Tuesday so I got it done Sunday got results back Tuesday the doctor told me I tore my ACL and I remember <laughs> I remember like it was like I'm trying to think of a word it was just distorting like after that like my stomach and my like my stomach just my stomach hurt like when he had told me that and I felt hot like my my whole body temperature just got hot I was like man there's no way I tore my ACL there's no way, like, it doesn't feel like I tore my ACL. Most like when you see people tear their ACL, they're like in agony. They're like crying, almost crying and all that other stuff. But like, I got hurt, got back up. I went back out there like a couple plays. I'm walking, I'm fine. Like, it doesn't hurt that much. Like, how did I tear my ACL? And then so I had went to Dallas and I went to Dallas, the Dallas team doctor, um, team surgeon. And got a second opinion, and we did the MRI again, and then he said I tore my ACL. I was like, "Dang, man, this cannot be happening." I was like, "Man, I'm having a good year," and all of a sudden, it just it uh, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful for my family, my girlfriend, and my friends. They and some of my coaches, they were in my corner a lot during that time. It was rough. It was really rough. Um, you know, I've never, 
I've never been hurt. Like up until that point, I've never been hurt at all. <laughs> like I never had surgery. I just that was my first surgery ever. And it was an ACL surgery. So I'm like, man, it sucked. Uh, you know, during during that time, I wanna say my grandma, she checked on me like like two or three times a day. <laughs> It was like two or three times a day up until the surgery. I was actually, the thing is, my, sur- my surgeon, he had went up to me and he showed me this video. It is this man and he's asleep and he has this thing in his hand and he's hitting a hammer in it. And he's like, you see what this is? I was like, I was like, I see it, but what is it? He's like, that's ACL surgery. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that made me feel a lot better. This is my first surgery and you, you're showing me that. Like he literally has his tendon in his hand and he's like hammering it. He's like, so when you wake up and it feels like you got hit with the hammer, you actually did. But it, it was fine though. Um, Dr. Cooper, he's like one of the best. I mean, it was, it was, it was one of my easiest surgeries. And in, my, in the ACL surgery, it hurts like the first three, four days. They suck, especially when you're on your medicine. And that ride home, Alice, and those bumpy roads. They told me uh, to take my medicine. Once I got home, I was like, it hurts too bad. I got to take them now. <laughs> they were like excruciating pain. It was very, it was, I couldn't, I wouldn't wish that on nobody at all. It was tough, especially on, um, not not being able to to play, but then also watching them from the sidelines. But I mean, there's nothing else I can do about it. I mean, after I'll, I'll probably say after a week or two, I moped about it. But then after that, I was like, you know, there's nothing much else I can do. So I'm honestly just get get into rehab, go hard at it, and get back better. And um, that's when RJ got hurt. He broke his leg at homecoming. That hurt. That anybody go through what I did. And he broke his leg. And then I look up in the stands and I just see his mom just distraught. She's like, she's just worried. Like she's like really worried. And then so I get up off the table and then I go in there to check on RJ. And um, they're basically telling me that I couldn't go in the x-ray room, but I didn't want to go in there. I was just making sure like if, his mom needs to be in there. I know where his mom is. So like I went back, got his mom down from the uh, stands into the field and onto the x-ray room. And man, that was, that was rough. That was rough. I hated that for him. And then Gavin, he got hurt too. I hated that for him also. Cause that was his second time. That was his second. I think he tore his ACL before he came to Baylor. And then, I, and then he tore it again that following year. So, no, it was rough. I really hated that for him. That's got to take one tough person to go through all that and still playing football. That's how you know he loves it. Drew Galitz also, he tore his ACL in pregame. I think against Texas Tech also, I want to say. And uh, I'd say me and Drew, we, we competed a lot during rehab. <laughs> just re- We just competed to see who would do best at, like, whatever we had to do that day. It's safe to say I always won those competitions. But <laughs> <laughs> fast, forward to, uh, fast forward to spring, and it's been 20-something. 
had surgery on October 12th. It's been like six months. Six months since surgery. Uh, and I, I've only been walking. I haven't jogged. I haven't sprinted for six months. The only thing I could do is walk. And uh, so I do this. No, I lied. Jan- on my birthday in January, I, I got to jog in the hydro pool. But in March, I do this test to see that to see if I'm cleared or not. And this PT, we're doing this like long jump, well, triple jump style thing to see how far I can jump on that leg. He's like, you see this marker right here? He's like, I was like, yeah. He's like, well, my Olympic triple jumper got to this point. So if you get to this point, then I feel like you're really good. So I did it and I actually like won and that felt really good. I was like, I was like, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty ready. And so I did all those other tests and he was like, you know what? He seems like he's very strong in the knee. I think he's pretty much clear to go, but not full contact yet. He can sprint all this other stuff. I was like, that's all you got to tell me. I've been waiting to sprint since January. <laughs> so that was a good feeling to be able to run again. Like when I was able to run again, it just felt so relieving. Like it felt I was just happy. I was just happy to be able to run. It was just no better feeling than that. But um, it was a good experience. Like my whole rehab experience was smooth. My checkups, going back to Dallas, it was smooth. Everything, everything with that, it was it was great. I had no problem. You know, going to that next year, that's when we got a new receiver coach, Coach Frias. And um, so that's when Jalen Hurd also came in. And um, we had changed up the offense a little bit to where, like, in 2017, being Denzel, we didn't switch. Like, if you would go back, we didn't switch. Like, he was on the left side. I was on the right side. And with the plays, it would just fit to where wherever we were. We didn't go to where we needed to be. So when Coach Frizz came in, he had switched it up to, like, we go to the play side. Like, if it's, like, trips left, one single on the right, and I'm the Z, then I go to the left. It was, like, last, like 2017. I just, So, basically, I found myself behind, like, every pass progression of, like, of the plays, majority. And, um production kind of dropped but I mean it was no I didn't care because that was like my first season from coming back from ACL surgery I'm like I don't care I'm back out here playing I don't care at all after that 111 season people didn't really think what we were going to be able to do that year it kind of opened a lot of eyes I feel like and uh, that that year was actually pretty good you know that um that Texas Tech game, that was something that I really needed. Like, I haven't been able to break out like that in since 2017, like a whole year, basically, in a couple months. So, like, to have that 100-yard that game, it felt good because I didn't, I didn't have any year to where, like, 2017, I was probably almost getting 100 every game. But uh, it took a lot of patience. But – we got the job done, and then we also ended up winning the Texas Bowl against Vanderbilt. 
But uh, after that, so Coach Fritz came up to me. He was like, hey, since you got hurt with that new rule with, with the freshmen, they can play three games and still be redshirted. So, like, it was the same thing for medical redshirts. You play three games, get hurt, you can get another year. So they had told me about that. Coach Fritz told me, he was like, hey, you can come into, you can go into the draft, maybe be like a fifth or sixth pick. I mean, fifth or sixth round pick and uh, go to the draft or you can come back, move you inside so you maybe do better. And so, like, I thought about it for a really long time about it. That's when I had coach called Coach Grow. And um, I was like, you know, I really don't know if I want to come back or I should just be done with it based off of, like, how I was within their offense that year following or just take it and go somewhere else because that was the possibility. You know, I skipped a lot. <laughs> so, so my ACL year, that before 2018, I had graduated. So I could have went somewhere else if I wanted. And Coach, Coach KB wanted me at Houston. Uh, Jared wanted me at Auburn. Hey, you want to come to Auburn? I was like, man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that fits my place, though. And uh, Coach Montgomery wanted me in Tulsa. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'm talking to all these people. People are hitting me up. And I actually got I actually got a call from a former player that – I'm going to just say former player. <laughs> from a former player, he calls me. I'm actually about to get my haircut. It's the day before graduation. He calls me. He's like, hey, go to Houston with KB. He's going to get you the ball more and more production that you need coming off of surgery. Thought about it. I was like, all right, I'll think about it. So, I mean, that was like that whole summer out there thinking, like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and um, that's when I called Coach Grove. I was like, and should I stay? Should I go? Like, well, I don't know where to go. Like, based off of, like, some things that had happened during my my injury kind of, like, provoked me from staying at Baylor. And then also, those were – that was my senior class. Like, that year, that 2018 year, that's my senior class. I was like, do I really want to up and leave this senior class that I've been with? Like, we went through all this stuff together and just – leave them and just leave Baylor on a one in 11 year and I get injured. Like, do I want to leave on that note? And I kind of went with that because girl kind of helped me like think about that. I was like, I can't, I wouldn't, it wouldn't feel right leaving Baylor like that. So then I had decided to stay. I was thinking about leaving. I just kind of kept that under wraps, but, um, you know, I feel, I don't regret my decision at all. It was a. Uh, it was tough, but I mean, I got through it. After that, I mean, my, my mom was focused on on the guys at Baylor, and um, I mean, we came out came out and won the uh, the Texas Bowl, so I was pretty happy with that. But then deciding on if I should stay f for another year, 
and then going or going to the NFL, that also took some time. I know coaches were texting me, coaches were calling me. They're like, hey, you got another year, you can come back, <laughs> whatever, blah, blah, blah. Just in my ear, you can come back, you can get you the ball. I was like thinking, I was like, so y'all kind of, y'all putting it out there that y'all noticed that I wasn't getting the ball, but y'all also want me to come back. And I was like, well, I believe in myself that I can come back and then produce more better than what I did that year before. So I decided to come back. I had to, it was like this all, this like all out thing. I had to write out like this note or letter to NCAA to the reason why I want to come back. And if I got, if I came back, how I'd use the year and all this stuff. So like that summer, I went up to a friend's house. She kind of helped me edit the paper, proofread it, sent it out to the NCAA, came back. Maybe told me that I got accepted my sixth year if I want to take it. And then I took it. And then, uh, yeah, so through that whole, that next year, I broke what the Baylor record for most played games. I think that was up until like Kansas. So I don't even know who had it before, but. Good God. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you think about it, I've never missed a game up until 2017. I had missed that whole season. So my freshman year, sophomore year, never missed a game. Hurt myself. Played three games, hurt myself. And then 18, never missed a game. 19, never missed a game. Like, never. Never at all never missed practice at all you know it was like it's like something that I don't I wouldn't say don't feel proud of but like what people make it seem like you got the most games played at Baylor but then also if you think about another perspective like I've always been available and available that's why I got it because I never missed a game even this year this past year, it was still still wasn't as great for me, anyways. Not for the team, because the team did as a team we did well. Also, we got back to a New Year's Six game since um, before I was at Baylor. I think when we played UCF, you know, and I hope this Baylor team eventually wins a New Year's Six because I know we no, I lied. I take that back. When we played Michigan State, I was a freshman. So, like, we haven't been too good at New Year's Six Bowls, but hopefully they win <laughs> one some, somewhere down the road. But that one hurt. <laughs> Though, just those two. Like, I was I was committed when they play UCF. And I see just going back and forth, back and forth. Oh, man, this sucks. And then Michigan State, we up by three touchdowns. The same year, we were, we were down three touchdowns against TCU and came back and won, and they did the same thing to us. It was that was rough, but uh, hopefully they win a New Year's Six ball down the road. I feel like right now, where they're at right now, it's the same thing in 2017. If you think about it, like people don't people say, no, it was different in 2017, but it honestly wasn't. Because if you look at it, 2017, new coach, they got a new coach. We had a lot of injuries in 2017, they got a lot of injuries in two, right now. It's, it's just the same thing. And 
2017, if you think about it, except for the Oklahoma State game, every game was pretty much damn near close. And right now, every game is pretty much close. I think a blowout loss at all. I think everything's been like within two touchdowns. So, I mean, everything, they just, our problem was winning the close games. And if you look at 2018, we were win- we started winning those close games. And then I just feel like it's going to follow the same path. Like, it's, it's going to be all right. And a lot of people, like, I'm watching the game. I know the first game was kind of tough for me. I was like, I don't know if I want to watch the game. But, uh, like, when I started watching the game, and then people are like, on Charlie. Like, they don't understand. <laughs> they don't understand how tough that dude is. Like, I wouldn't, I don't want to put it all on the lineman, but sometimes you see him standing up in the pocket taking hits while he's throwing the ball. But, uh, I mean, he's he's a winner. He had heart also. He was named captain also. But even even last year when he was the QB, he was – he just did everything he could to try to, to get us to win. And to see fans doing him like they did Zach in 2017, it's just, it's just reoccurring. It's like the same thing. They don't want to admit it, but it's the same thing. We were losing and Zach was QB. They wanted a new QB. And then when Zach got hurt, no, 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 let me take that back. When I knew got hurt, Zach went in. And then we started losing some more after that Oklahoma State game. Wanted a QB change. And then West Virginia game, that got hurt. Charlie came in, almost made this incredible comeback. We want Charlie now. We want Charlie. And that's the same thing now. Like, people are judging. Like, Zeno's a good QB, but everybody is basing in the Big 12 championship game. Like, that one possession. I was like, how are you just going to throw away this QB that did all this stuff for y'all for a QB y'all saw for one possession? I was like, are y'all some QB gurus that I don't know about? It's, I don't know, it's a headache. Uh, like, I don't follow the people, but somehow I always see it on my timeline. I try not to get on Twitter on Saturdays anymore because it's just too much. <laughs> Well, let me let me jump in here, Chris. Let me jump in here because uh, number one, you just gave me by far the most thorough walkthrough of a career I've ever had on this podcast, and I love it. And it it speaks very highly to you, bro, and your uh, your passion for the game and your joy for the game. And and uh, man, I loved hearing it. Uh, and then you already got ahead of me on two of my other questions for you, so I'll, I'll get back to those. Um, so I want to know, I want to make a comparison to this year. And you, like you kind of mentioned, I think we're on the losing end of this. And is and I don't know how else to say that. Because mm-hmm. you went from a Bryles offense that was constantly throwing the ball down the field, down the field, down the field, big plays and big plays and big plays. And you were prime uh, skill set for that. Into the Matt into Matt Rule's uh, kind of philosophy, which was more pro style, run the ball, um, and and not as explosive. And now uh, everybody's being really critical of this Baylor offense, and they haven't even had an off season to learn it 
and and it's a completely different scheme yet again. So I, I want you to tell me about your experience switching offenses like that and how difficult that was. And now how difficult do you think it is for this year's guys to switch again with no spring camp, no fall camp, COVID canceling practices? Because uh, like you said, fans are so quick to be critical. But, I mean, these guys, they haven't had a chance to put any of this together, I would think. Yeah. Um, comparison to me, it was a lot easier because like all the routes were just set. A lot of the Baylor offense, it was like, depending on this coverage, depending on how this dude is, you run this route. You have two choices, but you want to be on the same page with the QB and with the pro style coach, coach, um, coach rule offense. It was, it's just pro offense. There's probably maybe one option route in the whole play. And, uh, in that offense, and Coach Bra's offense, you probably have like this this decoy route to get the other person open. And um, I'd say with Coach Bra's pace, everything was just fast, 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 fast pace, everything. And then that that transition into that offense during that spring. No, I probably say I didn't realize it until the Liberty game when I'm playing, and we're just going slow. We're taking our time, looking at the sideline. I'm like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Like, come on. <laughs> and uh, it didn't hit me until that game, actually. But, uh, you know, it doesn't fit my play style, but I, I grew accustomed to it. It wasn't as hard. Like, the Baylor offense was – the Coach Brawl offense, it was kind of – it took a while to get uh, completely understand what's going on. But with Coach Rose's offense, it was – it was just easy. Like I could get it all within the hour, basically. Like if you just know your route concepts, then you're just going to know just the whole playbook. And um, I probably say that that off season with the new coach and the new offense, it, it was really needed because if we were to go through what they're going through right now, I don't think it would have been as efficient that offense in 2017. Like even though we were losing, the offense was really putting up some numbers. That offseason, actually, they had hired some – they offered – no. Yeah, before Coach Nixon, he had uh, – what's his name? I forgot. He went from Ole Miss to Baylor and then Baylor to Washington. He's the OC at Washington. Two, three weeks during our spring camp when we were trying to learn the offense, and then he up and left. And then we got Nixon, and then that's when we got – um. Coach Bick, and now he's at Cincinnati. And um, he had me inside, so I was learning everything inside. And then I really didn't need to know anything outside. Where in the Coach Brown's office, you need to know every route because you might be on the outside, inside, anywhere. You need to know every route. I mean, you always need to know every route just in case somebody goes down. But, like, in Coach Rule's offense, if you're an inside receiver, you're an inside receiver. They're not going to put you outside. So you just need to know your position in that route. And um, that I'd probably say that spring really helped. And if we would uh, not have the spring like they did, and then 
couple of old linemen they've had had COVID that not that haven't been like practicing together throughout the whole off season and not have that many practices. It would have just been like what they're seeing today. Like I don't think they understand how rough it is. Like some of these teams, they've had coaches within the system. So they already know what's going on. They already like have that chemistry. It's, it's like the advantage they have during this whole process, like during a, during a new coaching change and then the whole COVID thing and then everybody can't, everybody can't be around each other at certain times. And then they close down the facility. Like you got no chance to like connect with these people. It's just like you do. I know in 2017, like a lot of people didn't trust coach rule yet. That's like what the main thing was. Like we didn't have like complete trust. And then after that Oklahoma brand and like his coaching style, and they saw like what we could do with what he believed in. And he was like, He's like, we should have won that game. Do y'all believe in the process now? And then, like, ever, ever since then, like, we went through that. Those seniors sacrificed their season, basically, through that 111 season, stuck through it, and then transferred over to a good season the next year. And I feel like that's going to be the same thing. Like, these seniors are basically sacrificing their season for a better year next year. Yeah, absolutely. And I was actually going to get to that. So I'll go ahead and ask you now. You're a guy and you talked about it, man. I mean, you had coaches. I'm sure it wasn't just KB and and Montgomery and Jarrett hitting you up. I'm sure there were other schools that would have taken a chance on you just like that if, if you'd been available. And you chose to stay twice, right? And stick it out, stick with the program, stick to your commitment. And I think for that, you've just earned a lot of respect and props from, from anybody who roots for Baylor and anybody who roots for good character and athletes and all this, but uh, you stuck through it and got through a really hard time and you've seen the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. You've seen big 12 championships and you've seen one in 11. So what would you say to some of those guys on the Baylor team right now who are really frustrated because it's, it's kind of apparent and it was apparent in 2017 too, that a couple of those guys are pissed and I, and I don't blame them. I don't blame them. Like you don't want your, you don't want to lose games and you don't want your season to look like the way it's looked this year, especially with COVID on top of losing. What would you say to those guys that are sticking it out and probably really frustrated right now? Got to take it one game. Yeah, man time basically you don't want to get frustrated you don't want to be a problem basically like you're already having a bad season you don't want to be a problem and be a distraction to the team and basically you want to give it your all because you still got another game to play if you just lose lose hope now it's just going to get worse and you can't you have nothing to build off of so in 2017 at least we had like a couple close games we should have won or could have won to build off of. And that's, they've had a, close, a lot of close games. And I'm sure Coach Aranda will point that out because that was the first thing Coach Rule pointed out to us. He put every, so he went from 2000, 2007, no, 16, before he got there, 17 and 18. Put all the scores down and then the point differential, two touchdowns, points. He was like, and then he did the turnover, turnovers, the point differential, the turnovers, 
and points scored off of turnovers and all this other stuff. He's like, if we eliminate these, then we win these close games. And then that's what you see in 2018 with Oklahoma State, with Kansas State, like all those other close games we had that year, Texas Tech, <laughs> all those. I mean, if they get really bought in, you have to be really bought into his his mindset. I don't know what it is. I'm not in the locker room anymore. But um, you just got to be really bought into what he's bringing to the table because he had just came off a national <laughs> national championship. So, I mean, do you need much more than that? I mean, that's a resume for itself. But um, if you do that, you still, you're going to start seeing the team get better. Well, I was going to ask you about that, and maybe maybe you don't know much, but I, I was wondering how much you communicate with some of those guys still and if you've met Coach Aranda and what your impressions are. Um, you know, I was impressed with him immediately when he kept uh, McGuire and Bell on staff and, and kind of carried over some of that stuff from the rule philosophy. Um but some people have been critical of that. Like, hey, you need to establish your own thing. Is he being too timid? You know, he's not a very loud, rah-rah kind of a guy like like Rule and Bryles both were. Um, what do you know about him? And what do you know about, and you don't have to obviously tell me anything you're not allowed to say, but what do you know about the current guys and what they think of him? You know, I haven't talked to them much about it. I mean, <laughs> they got so much else going on right now. But uh, I've never met Coach Randa yet. I've actually seen him, like, across the room. But it was, like, while, while I was working out before um, COVID shut down everything. It was, like, February, March, something like that. But um, I feel like it, it would help to have familiar faces around. I know that helped me a lot. When uh, Coach Kyles was there for a little bit, when Coach Drew was there, he was like the only – no, two, Coach Toff and Coach Kyles on the training staff. It was it was good to have a familiar face within like a whole room full of new people. But um, it's, for them to take on Coach Rule's philosophy a little bit, I mean, it kind of helps because then you, if you go from one culture to another culture, you just – people get confused. People – resist and people all over the place but you go with something that's already established it kind of helps a lot more and um I know I I've talked to some of them a little bit just try to make sure their their head is where it should be um they're fine there's gonna be the main thing the main thing and just keep going ahead yeah absolutely uh so let's get back to what you said about Charlie Brewer and I, I have been criticized on Twitter because I've been a pretty adamant Charlie Brewer defender for all the reasons you said. I mean, he's won a lot of games at Baylor. He's going to finish second in almost every passing category at Baylor behind only RG3. I mean, he's been outstanding his entire career. Um, the, The criticisms of him, I think, are primarily people think he looks hurt because he doesn't look quite as dynamic as he looked for the past three years. And some people think he can't throw the ball down the field. Um, and you would know you would know how well he can throw the ball down the field better than anybody being the, the deep threat receiver that you were. So, you know, I, I'm not going to claim to be a QB guru. I've said a lot of the same things you've said. I, I don't know why we're judging Zeno or Bohannon because they haven't played very much and they both might be great, but they haven't proved it on in a game yet. 
um, Brewer has. But how would you respond to those critics that either say he's hurt because he doesn't look as fast or doesn't look as decisive or he can't throw the ball down the field? What would you say to those people specifically? He can definitely throw the football down the field. (laughs) Uh, He actually, so like, he knew that was like one of his weak points in his game. He actually been going to people to improve it. So he has been doing that, and I have seen it. Like, well, I know one time he had went to something, came back, his arm was a lot stronger. But people don't see – I honestly, I haven't seen them throw the ball deep as much this year anyways. So I don't know why they would be saying that at all. And um, like I said, Charlie takes a lot of hits. And he stands in the pocket and he delivers the ball. But people see, so like, if a, <laughs> they don't understand, if you see a 6'5", 310 defensive tackle coming at you and you're trying to make the pass while getting hit, it's going to hit the ball a little bit sometimes. Like, everybody's not perfect, but they don't, they, they don't care. But um, that's why I kind of stopped responding. I was like, you really don't understand. Like, it's tough back there. I mean, if you put Zeno or – Gary back there, I mean, you pretty much going to get the same results. They're going to be running out of the pocket, trying not to get sacked or probably going to hit. I mean, he doesn't really get much time back there. And I honestly, I honestly, it's it sucks because the old linemen, they have not, they didn't get a lot of reps at all during this whole football process because a lot of them had COVID. A lot of them had to stay in their own house for like a week and they couldn't work out and none of that other stuff. Like, it's tough. I mean, they got to do – he's doing with what he has. I mean, he has really good receivers out on the edge, and I see them trying to do some quick game, get the ball out of his hands quicker and let the receivers do a lot of the work in the running backs also. But, I mean, if you – if they say that – if they say that uh, a new QB change is going to get them wins, then – they're completely wrong. It, <laughs> I, I It'll be the same result. And they're, they're all three of them are good QBs. Like, I've good QBs all in their different ways. Every, each and every one of them are like good in each and other thing. It's, I don't know. It's just, it's tough. It's tough because, um, you know, Charlie, he's, he, I probably say he's the most consistent one. And then they they just don't see it. They're like, no, we're losing too much. We want a new QB. We want we want a QB that we saw for a, for one possession. <laughs> yeah, you know what they say. You know what they say. The backup quarterback is every fan's favorite player. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when things go wrong, it, I feel like it's just it gives them it gives them a reason for why we're losing, even though it's not why we're losing. It's like, oh, it's the QB. We're losing because it's the QB. He's not playing. He doesn't play up standards. I know his stance is not up to his standards, but it's not completely on him. He doesn't play defense. He doesn't play that side of the ball. <laughs> but uh, especially I, I saw that his sister put on Twitter that he's been getting death threats on Twitter. Like, that's too far. And I know – I have RJ on Snapchat 
after the Texas game, people they had came back to the house, TP. It's like it's getting out of hand, like taking it way out of that uh, way out of yeah. hand. Well, uh, you know, I think we can agree, and this is 2020. We see it all over the world, not just with Baylor folks. There are there are entitled idiots everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Right. And yeah. and I and I hate that there are that there are entitled idiots in the Baylor fan base. I hate that. Uh, but but they exist. I guess there's no way to get away from them as long as we're living on this world. Yeah. Man, I feel like Coach Browse. I know Coach Browse. They actually, um, they were criticizing him when he first got to Baylor. Also, I'm pretty sure he had like a couple rough few first seasons, and then after it kept going, and then he started winning games. They started getting entitled. You know, like, well, well, I feel for like this is what they want, and they want to keep it this way. But it's football. A lot of things can change. A lot of stuff. Like you can see with LSU. A lot of changes went over there, and then they had a really—they're having a really rough season. Like right after winning the national championship, it happens. And and LSU, by the way, uh, for all the ba- and Baylor fans know this, they just don't want to admit it. LSU gets any recruit they want. Uh, you know, they're they're probably a top five program in the whole country, and and you're exactly right. Now they're in the tank because they lost a bunch of their coaches and all their good players. So Baylor who doesn't get any recruit they want, not in the SEC, not a top five program nationally, not a national championship team, goes in the tank, and fans still get angry. And I, and I keep pointing back to 2017 as well. I'm like, listen, like you got to give a coaching staff a few years, and this coaching staff hadn't even had an offseason, man. Yeah, that's why <laughs> they don't get it. That's why I just stopped replying. Yeah, man. It's just so much. I'll tweet something like I have my tweets to where like if I don't follow you, I don't see your notifications. So when I tweet something, I just get off of Twitter. Like what I just posted a tweet yesterday, uh, quote tweeting to I want to say it was David Smoke and Coach Blackmar was it was a quote from Blake Black. Right. I saw this. Yeah. Yeah. I had posted it <laughs> and I just went off of Twitter, came back, tweet like blew up. Blake, he said they have the staff potential, everything they, everything there to build a great culture team in history. There's some really good building blocks there. I'm not worried about this year in general. And then I quote, quoted it. I said, a lot of former players not worried and can see the process, but fans are going ballistic. Hmm. <laughs> and then so I tweeted that, and then I just got off of Twitter. <laughs> so I wouldn't look at it. And then I come back the next day, I got like 239 likes. 10 replies and stuff. So that that's especially why that's why I turn that off. The notifications, if I don't follow you, I don't look at my, I can't see the notification if I don't follow you. But uh, one guy I was, well, I had responded to one guy, I want to say Sunday. And I was telling him, I was like, this, this, I was like, y'all trying to get rid of Charlie. Like y'all tried to get rid of Zach in 2017. And he said, Zach had a good arm. Zach, he wasn't in the right offense. It wasn't an offense for him. But if you think about it, it, our offense wasn't a problem in 2017. Like, 
we were losing, he was also putting up some impressive numbers and they still wanted to change. But I was like, y'all don't see it. Y'all don't see it. It's just reoccurring. And Zach's up there making plays at Tulsa and probably is going to get to go have a shot at the NFL draft this next spring. Yeah, I know he got into the the top eight Wait, right now. So, I mean, look what y'all chased off. (laughs) Y'all chasing another QB that's just like that. But they don't see it. They want a new QB change. Like, that's – it's not the only problem at all. So what would you say, because that's like the second or third time you've said that, and, and I agree with you, but what would you say when you're watching this team is some of the biggest issues? What are one or two, and, and it might be, we've already talked a lot about cohesion and lack of practice, and that might be it, but what would you say are the biggest couple of issues that this team is facing uh, and why they're losing all these games? I say, I'd say they wait too long to get aggressive. I know that. No, I wouldn't say that because I said that. Okay, so in 2017, the the team would would like me explosive because these are the Coach Brawl guys. We weren't that explosive. So in the meeting, Coach Rule actually asked us. He's like, "What do we need to do to be better?" <laughs> and then so a lot of people are in my ear like, "Hey, we need to be more explosive. We need to throw more deep passes." So I told him. And like out in the team meeting. And then he brought me in after that in the meeting. And then he shows me the UTSA games. The first like three plays, no, the first, I want to say probably like out of the 10 plays, like six of them we threw deep. Like the first play, deep pass, didn't complete. Another one, like a deep middle pass, incomplete. Like he was just showing me, he's like, these are the deep passes y'all are asking about. We're just not completing them. But um, it's just in a different sense. To um, you see, him, it it didn't, the offense seemed kind of timid until like the last few minutes of the quarter. Like they're really trying to score. They're trying to be aggressive. I feel like they need to be more aggressive. I don't know if that's with the OCs not liking what they have out there or what, but I can tell you when Tyquan Thornton, he comes back and he be a deep threat. Yeah. I feel like it'll open a lot more stuff up because Jackson, he, he's not playing. Tyquan's really the only one that can, well, I'd say Gavin, he's sneaky fast. He can get past a lot of people, but Tyquan can open that up. And then a lot of people be feared of his speed and open a lot of stuff up. But, I'd say the main thing would be injuries because Taekwon's hurt. You got a squirrel. He's hurt. And there's some playmakers on offense itself. And uh, on the defensive side, you know, Terrell Bernard's, he's hurt. Kalen Barnes with his hand. He's been off and on with the club. And uh, I want to say uh, BJ Hansborough, he, he's hurt. It's just a, a lot of a lot of injuries, probably more than 2017, to be honest. Other than that, I probably say the main problems are just the chemistry within the offense not being as aggressive. But I could be wrong because they might be doing some aggressive plays, it's just not working out, and we don't see it. And that happens. Sometimes it's broken plays, maybe it was, and then the receiver run the wrong route, or it's just a broken play 
Charlie had to run out the pocket and like improvise. Like we don't know. We never know. All right. I've got one more kind of funny question for you. And then, uh, and then I'm going to let you go, man. You've been really generous with your time and I appreciate it. You got any interest from Matt rule up there in Carolina? Has he called you since he went up there? Uh, Coach Frizz, so he was the receiver at Baylor. He went up there. He actually called me. It was like a few weeks after the draft. He said that um, they would bring me up there to try out and practice. No, he said he'd bring me up there for um, for camp and stuff. But with COVID, they required less people in and out. So during that whole draft process, I was – Working out at Baylor, then going up to Dallas, working out with uh, David Robinson, the um, receiver coach that's been working out with Co- um, Des Bryant. So I was up there at Apex in uh, Fort Worth, and uh, I got to run routes with Des, uh, run routes for Patrick Mahomes, actually, for uh, for that day. So that was pretty cool. It was after he won the Super Bowl, too. You know, I was just working. I was, like, ready. I was like, you know – I'm, I felt like I was ready, but then came March, they shut down the facilities, they shut down everything one week before pro day. So I didn't get to have my pro day. I didn't get to like all that, all that work I had put into was just gone. I couldn't do nothing. So, you know, I was just went out to the field, kept doing my craft on that. But yeah, he had told me he, he wanted me up there for camp. I had also got a call from, the Chargers and Rams, they said they wanted me up there for camp. But then soon this this whole pandemic thing kept going. They required less people to come in for workouts. They actually didn't let people come in to work out up until July, actually, like before the season. Like I didn't even know they had like restriction. They wouldn't let people in at all. So I couldn't go to either of those. So that that was a bummer. But you know, I'm not trying to get too much down on myself, so I've just been keeping myself busy, keeping at it. Well, Chris, I got to tell you, Matt Rule constantly praised you for your heart and your hustle. Uh, Baylor fans love you, dude, because you, you stuck around and you stuck it out and you gave it your all, and I think everybody who's going to listen to this knows that. And so, man, uh, we're all rooting for you. I'll be praying you get your shot, bro, because because I'd love to see you succeed and get to that next level. So keep working at it, man. And uh, if we if we can ever do anything for you, uh, myself or anybody else, you let us know, bro, because uh, you're a real one, and we appreciate you, dude. I will. I appreciate that. And that's going to wrap it up for us here this week on Please Bear With Me. Thanks so much for giving us a listen. Please Bear With Me is brought to you by Bears Illustrated at 247sports.com. Thanks to Tim Watkins over there. Thanks to Iron Kids for all the music you heard today. If you want to check them out, look to Spotify Iron Kids. We'll talk to you next week. Sick'em Bears. Bears.